The reading this morning is from Acts 17, verses 16 to 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, gives, he, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's lovely to see you and to be back in Acts together this morning. Hello to those who are watching at home. Um, if you've got a Bible handy, do keep um, that passage from the second half of Acts chapter 17 open as we have a think about it this morning. Let's just pray, shall we, for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. Uh, you're with us by your Holy Spirit, and we pray that as we reflect on these words that you'd help us to understand them and to apply them to our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, children often ask the biggest and most difficult questions, don't they? Um, any of you who are parents or have been parents will, will probably know that, or maybe you've worked with children, and when you become a parent, seems to me one of the things you learn is that, in particular, they like to ask the most difficult questions just when they're supposed to be going to sleep. Um, 
one of my daughters in particular was, was prone to this. I remember her asking me one bedtime at the age of, I'm going to say, about six. Just as I was about to turn the light off, she said to me, Daddy, why am I here? That's a pretty big one, isn't it? It's a, that's quite philosophical. What's the meaning of life? What's it all about? What is my purpose? And some people can spend all day and all night thinking and indeed talking about those things. Um, like some of the people Paul met when he got to Athens. Um, he's been traveling around uh, what we now call Greece, parts of the ancient world, in the last few chapters. And in verse 21, we're told all the Athenians spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening about the latest ideas. So, uh, in Acts chapter 17 here, we find two things that lead Paul to preach the gospel in Athens. We find six things that he makes clear about God and what he's like, and we find three possible responses to all of that. So let's start with two things that lead Paul to preach the gospel in Athens. They may or may not appear on the screen at some point. Um, we'll see how we, how we go with that. Um, verses 16 to 23 is where we're starting off. And the first thing is Paul's distress at what he sees. Uh, his distress at what he sees. Verse 16, while he was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. All over Athens, uh, there were statues, literal idols, um, statues of ancient gods like Hermes and Zeus and uh, various other ones too. Uh, visible pointers to the gods who the people worshipped. And he was distressed at what he sees. Um, I think it's striking, and it begs a couple of questions for us. Um, the first one is, are we as distressed as Paul when we look around the world today and see people worshipping different gods who are not the Lord? Or are we not that bothered? Do we tend um, to shrug our shoulders? Um, whether that's people following different religions as such, or whether it's people who are, in effect, worshipping idols of stuff, you know, idols of material wealth or pleasure uh, or family security or whatever the things are that we make into the most important thing in life. What do you think? Does it bother us like it clearly bothered Paul? If Paul were to, to visit Britain, to visit Thurnby, what would distress him today about what he finds here in this place? What are the things he would see as signs that people are worshipping things that are not God? What do you think? What are the things that are, that are distressing about the place where we live? And if you look at verse 17, Paul is greatly distressed by the things that people were worshipping. So what he does is reason with them in the synagogue, both with Jews and Greeks, as well as in the marketplace by day with the people who were there. Paul's response to, to false worship is to engage with people, and in particular to point them to Jesus. That's the first, uh, first thing that leads him to preach the gospel. So if you look at verse 18, they think he's strange, babbling on about all kinds of different things, some foreign gods, but they do get the message because they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And that is Paul's message in a nutshell, isn't it? I've got good news. It's about Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And Paul and the other apostles, they often mention the resurrection, don't they? They make a really big thing of it. And we should too. Uh, and we should do that because if Jesus rose from the dead, then we've got to take him seriously, haven't we? He is Lord. 
that we may have all kinds of other things that we want to ask that we don't fully understand. I won't say hands up who's got a question that you'd like to ask God, because I imagine it's all of us. You know, maybe you've got questions about creation and evolution. Maybe you've got questions about, about suffering and why things go wrong in the world. Maybe you've got questions about predestination. Maybe you've got questions about morality and why the Bible says we should live in certain ways. But if Jesus rose from the dead, that's the starting point, isn't it? If he did that, we've got to take him seriously. We may not yet have answers to all of our other questions, and that's okay, as long as we're working through them. But everything follows on from that. And Paul's distress when he gets to Athens doesn't lead him to get angry, doesn't lead him to disengage and just say, well, you lot, you're worshipping the wrong gods, not having anything to do with you. It leads him to tell them about Jesus. And then the second thing which leads him to do that is quite simply the opportunity that arises. There's this obsession in Athens with philosophy. Um, and he's got a great opening to a talk, hasn't he, in, in verses 22 and 23. He's heard about the, the, the Epicurean philosophy and the Stoic philosophy. Some of you may be experts on these things, I don't know. And philosophies of materialism and reason. But it's an open door for Paul. And so he stands up and he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So, you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. It's a great opening, isn't it? It's both complimentary to them and insulting to them at the same time. You know, he's saying to them, you're right to seek to worship God. You clearly don't know much about him, do you? Don't worry about it. I will tell you all about him. But I think the main thing, first of all, is just to note that Paul is there. And when the opportunity arises, he is there with the people and he can take it and he can tell them about Jesus. I wonder how many Christians today wonder why they're not seeing conversions in their churches. But they never meet anyone who isn't also a Christian because they spend all of their time in church meetings and Bible studies and, and things like that. Don't get me wrong, please. This is not the vicar saying you shouldn't go to a Bible study. I think home groups are great and all kinds of ways of encouraging each other. But if that's all we do, then what do we expect? And so I always rejoice when someone at St. Luke's tells me that they're, that, you know, they're part of a football team or a bowls club or the WI or a bridge club or they're a scout leader or whatever it is that you do, which means that you're out there in the community and uh, you're meeting people and you're hearing about their lives and sometimes there may be opportunities to share your life and the things that Jesus have done for you. Two things that gave Paul uh, opportunity and reason to speak about Jesus. And as he speaks then, the other thing about this passage is that it reveals a whole lot of things about God to us. In fact, six things here that Paul makes clear about God, verses 24 to 31. Don't panic, there are six, but I'm not going to take ages over them. Some of you are thinking, six? I'm going to be here till the evening service. There isn't an evening service. You might even be here beyond the evening service. They're not long. Uh, but there's a really important point here, and the point is that Paul has said to them, you're ignorant, hasn't he? Quite bluntly. You're ignorant of the thing you worship, and so he tells them, this is what God is like. And he takes as his starting point the things he sees around them, the things he sees around him. Um, many people in our community, some of our friends and neighbours, would say they don't believe in God. Or maybe they don't worship God. One question which is always worth asking when someone says that to you is, um, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. What is he like? Sometimes you will find that as 
people describe to you what they assume God is like and they certainly don't believe in him, that you're able to reply, well, that's interesting because I don't believe in that God either. And people will say all kinds of things. Um, But then maybe you'll be able to say, let me tell you something about the God I do believe in. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Well, here are Paul's six things for starters. First of all, that God is not local. He is universal. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. Uh, Striking, isn't it? Whether you're in the first century or the 21st century, there's the same issue. One of the biggest objections to Christianity is people who say, well, isn't it arrogant to say that, that God is the God of the whole world and of all people? There's that verse in John 14, isn't there? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. How can he say that? What about all the other gods? But if the gospel is true, then good news. We don't need a, a, a different God in a different temple in every town and village because Jesus died and rose for everyone. He did it for everyone. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Second thing, we don't serve God. He serves us because he loves us. Um, Again, what Paul is tackling here is something which we need to tackle today too. We find it today. Um, Almost every religion that you will come across is about doing something to earn God's favor, Um, to live a good life, to be moral, to be religious, so that God is pleased with you. That's what religion is often about. Many of your non-religious neighbors and work colleagues think that's what you believe and that's what you're doing when you come to church on Sunday. That you're coming here um, so that you've done something religious for the week and God will be pleased with you because you've done that. Maybe some of you think that's what you're doing when you come to church on Sunday. I don't know. Hope not. Paul says, verse 25, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Verse 26, he made all the nations. History is in his hands. And so the gospel is, we're not here to serve God or prove ourselves to him. He serves us because he loves us. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross and coming out of the tomb down the road in Jerusalem a few years before Paul preached these words. We don't serve God, he serves us. Number three, God is not distant. He's not far away. He is near. He is here with us. Again, even today, how many people, the only time when they pray is when something bad happens. Or the only time they perhaps acknowledge God is when something terrible has happened, and so they blame him. But most of the time, they don't want to engage with him. It's not so much that they don't believe in a God at all, it's just that they kind of, they've got an awareness that there might be a God, but he's distant. Maybe he created everything, but he's got nothing to do with our lives now. Not very much. But verse 27, everything God has done, says Paul, in the way he has designed the world, is to get us to look for him. That's why we all know deep down that there must be something more. Uh, we're all desperate for something more, aren't we? Everyone is. Bigger house, faster car, you know, better relationships, more security, whatever it might be, more money. Paul says, verse 27, he is not far from any one of us. And then he quotes their philosophers and their poets. And he says, this is right. In him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. See, Paul is aware of what people are saying in Athens. He's aware of of the voices that have influence. Are we aware of what people are saying in our world today? Do we hear what politicians are saying? 
pop stars, footballers, influencers? Are we listening and are we ready to engage with things that they say? Those things which are right and we want to say yes. And those things which we want to say no, I don't think that is right. The Christian claim here in verse 28 is that we cannot live without God. He's present, he's near, we depend on him for every breath we take. Life is not random, it is sustained by him. He didn't just create us and then head off to leave the world to to wind down like a clockwork toy. Fourth, God is not made, he's the maker. Verse 29, therefore since we are God's offspring... We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. He made you. He made me. Um, So we shouldn't be surprised if we don't understand everything about him. That's okay. When you make something, you understand it, don't you? If you've painted a picture, if you've built something from Lego, if you've designed and built a car or a house, the person who's done that understands it. But the Lego doesn't understand you. And as those who have been made by God, we shouldn't panic when we find that sometimes he's just too big for us to get our heads around. I'm not saying we shouldn't wrestle with the hard things. We should. But of course we don't understand everything about him. That's all right. He's not made. He's the one who makes. And then five and six. And this is where the rubber starts to hit the road, really. Paul's getting to his punchline. Five, God is patient and he is just. Verse 30, in the past God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. This is where it gets a bit tougher for the Athenians. You know, the first four things, they might be kind of nodding and turning over in their head, thinking, oh, that's quite interesting. What does it mean for God to be creator? What does it mean that God um, is loving? He serves us. But now, Paul says, he's patient with you. Spot the implication. He would have been well within his rights to have wanted nothing to do with you after the way you've behaved, you bunch of idol worshippers. It gets a bit more challenging, doesn't it? And now, Paul says, he commands everyone everywhere to repent. God doesn't request it. He commands it. It's not just for Jews, not just for those who believe in him. Everyone. Paul's good news is about Jesus and the resurrection. The response that God is looking for is that we fall on our knees and repent. And lastly, sickly, I need two hands. Jesus will be the judge. Verse 31, for he's set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And again, the resurrection is central, isn't it? See, Christianity is not just a philosophy. It's not just a way to think about the world. It's God stepping into the world that he's made to rescue people, to serve people by bringing them back to him through repentance because of his love. How can we believe this? How can we know it's true? Well, Jesus rose from the dead. If he did that, then we need to take it seriously. And here is the man who's done that. And praise the Lord, he's set a day when he will judge the world with justice. That is good news, isn't it? Because it means that all the stuff in the world that is not right, the stuff that's unfair, the stuff that is painful, you know, the refugee crisis, the inequality we see in the world, the people suffering. If you've seen the news this morning in Haiti and Afghanistan and Plymouth and all kinds of other places, Um, God is, is patient and he's going to do something about that with justice. It's bad news for you and me, of course, because we cause so much of the problems of the world ourselves, except that he calls us to repent so that we might know his love and be made new 
in Jesus. So that is the God that Paul preaches. It's a great passage for reminding us of what God is actually like when we're often misled like the people of Athens were. So finally, and very quickly, the three responses to this, they're the three normal ones. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Three responses to the good news about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead, verses 32 to 34. The first one is what we might call the Richard Dawkins response. It's to sneer at it all. Um, If that's you, you're probably not in church this morning. Because why would you be? Because you think Christianity is ridiculous and Jesus certainly didn't rise from the dead. And of course, there are many people in our world who are like that. If you are here and that's you, then you're very welcome, by the way. But I'd be surprised. The second one uh, is the questioning response. Verse 32, others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. That's the people who maybe, maybe you're not ready to quite make your mind up yet. You're, you're happy to acknowledge there's something in this Christianity lark. Maybe you say, I do believe in God, but you've got big questions. And I want to say to you, if that is you, maybe you're watching online, you are very welcome at St. Luke's. You don't need to agree with what we say at the front to come here. You don't need to feel like you've got everything taped. Most of us don't. Um, the one encouragement I would give you, if that is you, is don't use the questions as an excuse to keep sitting on the fence forever. At some point, we need to make our minds up. But where you're wrestling, come along and keep on doing it. And then, of course, the third response is faith. Verse 34, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed, and there are various people named there in that verse. Um, So what about you? Um, As I said, some of you may be in group two. I doubt there's any group one sneerers here. If you're in group two, ask the questions. Ask me the questions. Um, Ask home group leaders the questions. Get stuck in with them. Most of us, I take it, are believers. We've come to follow Jesus. And if that is you, if you're one of those who've heard this good news about the resurrection and your response has been to repent and believe, as Paul says, then who do you know who also needs to hear about Jesus? What distresses you when you look at the world through Jesus' eyes like Paul did? What's your next step towards an opportunity to point someone to him? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that uh, the good news that Jesus rose from the dead is good news in Fernby in 2021, just as it was in Athens nearly 2,000 years ago. Lord, help us as we wrestle with things that we don't understand. Help us to see where the opportunities are for us to share the good news with those around us. And help us to see the world through your eyes, that we would be distressed when we see those who are not enjoying your love and experiencing your presence. So we ask it in Jesus' name.